slow on a little lower, please, Miss Walker. Practice. Number one gun, ready to fire. Ready to fire, Captain. Fire. Number two gun. Aye, aye, Captain. Fire. Sunk without trace, Master Mate. I want a holy, holy cutie. Hello there, you hiptastic hulas. It's Chappy, your British butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Episode 226. How's you doing today? It's another Sunday sermon edition. There'll be no frivolously played organs today. There'll be no hymns of sort. Well, I mean, you can uh, sing along if you like. Uh, you know, I'll hum it, you play it, so to speak. And uh, yeah, another Sunday in our in our lives here. How how are you? How are you doing today? How are you feeling today? Have you done your vigorous hip workout this morning? Have you got the hula hoops going? Because yeah, you have the hula hula hula. I've hula hula hulaed, got the hips going. I mean, it's the only thing you can do as a man to get the uh, get those hips going. Because if you see men dancing. They sort of look like a demented gorilla, don't they? they? They they're all top body, not enough bottom body. Now, if you hula every morning regularly, you get those hips going. You get those hips going vigorously. Is it vigorously or rigorously? And uh, you're ready for the day. And you've got your, you've got your top going. You've got your hips going. Uh, you can even do a little bit of a jig of the knees as well if you really want to do that. Entirely up to you, of course, my darlings. But uh, there we go. That's that's what you need on a Sunday morning to get you going. I'm like as stiff as a post today, mate. I've got like, I don't know what it is, lower back going on. A little bit of lower back pain in the tailbone. I have a very, very tumultuous tailbone, I have to say. Uh, if I sit in a long flight... That bugger hurts by the end. I have to like slip a pillow right down, maybe tuck it into the top of my trousers and uh, and, and do it that way. Uh, and that sort of protects it a little bit and it's seemingly not quite so uncomfortable at that point. But yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just sort of old age, isn't it, really? I had to get the old uh, heating pad out. I don't know if you can get a hot water bottle anymore. But that was uh, like the hot water bottle was uh, was a was a wonder back in the day i know my grandparents used to uh put a hot water bottle in their bed a half an hour before bed just to warm things up one both sides the trouble is if you don't let the air out and i never understood how to let the air out uh, i think you sort of press the top or something so there's no air bubble because if not that thing becomes bulbous and uh ready to burst like a balloon and uh, yeah, you, you could get you could get serious uh, serious burns from that bugger. 
serious burns if, if, if the uh, hot water bottle did pop. So as, as nice as it was, you had needed a cover on it because if it was molten hot, you would burn yourself. You need a little bit of a cover on there. Uh, but uh, that was that was rather nice on the tootsicles just before bed buys. So sent to me the other day, um, I've got a little bit of a graph going on. It's one of those overlapping circular graphs. I think it's actually called a circular graph. Now, one circle says British people. Uh, then you've got the other circle that says ants. And it's all sort of engrossing and intercircling and interspersing and joining each other and overlapping. Uh, of all of the, uh, hopefully all those adjectives are correct here. But uh, so you've got British people circle on the left. There's no overlap uh, on the left side. It says beans on toast. Then in the middle, there is an overlap between British people and ants. Number one, weird loyalty to the queen. Number two, innate instinct to line up single file and travel in a queue. Number three, takes things uh, that aren't theirs back to the colony. And number four, love for crumbly, uh, crumbly, crumbly, crumbly pastries. And then the ants can lift 5,000 times their weight. But British people can't lift 5,000, as I found in the last couple of weeks, trying to move chappy towers. And I don't think ants like beans on toast. I think they would like sloppy, soupy beans on toast. You know, and they would carry the beans back to the queen, wouldn't it? I mean, like British people, we carry our beans back to our queen. Oh, yes. Anyway, there's the overlap. There's the overlap, but I do think that the ants would have a little bit of a sousson for the uh, for the beans on toast as well. They would try it. They would have a nibble and uh, carry. I wonder how many beans an ant could carry on one's back. Coming along the way on the podcast today, here are some of the subjects, some of the topics that we may or may not be talking about on the show. Well, let's give you a little bit of a uh, let's give you a little bit of an update. A um, yesterday's show, uh, a little summary, a little pricey of yesterday's show here. Have you ever had sore cheeks, both cheeks? I did after eating green chili stew the other day. There is a snakehead soup after surgery. Um, it is is meant to be, I was going to say an aphrodisiac, but hopefully not after surgery. You probably don't want an aphrodisiac. But it's a very, it's a very, it's a healing concoction. It's a soothing, healing concoction after surgery there uh, today on the podcast we'll be looking at um, dreaming of cats have you ever dreamt of cats before I had a very strange dream the other day so I had a strange dream my darling had a strange dream and uh, my my father is uh, looking and trying to reconnect from 1794 he's trying to find Wendy Miller yeah he's trying to find uh, the elusive Wendy Miller somewhere in deepest, darkest countryside in the UK. There's no way around it. You need to get yourself the new iPhone 14. There's something you're missing out on, uh, and I will uh, let you know later on what you're missing out on if you do not get the new iPhone 14. Now, um, you know, I like a bit of sport, but there's a lot of very, very manly commercials on. There's a manly commercial for a body wash that uh, I have to say that I felt left out. I didn't feel part of it. We'll be discussing that a little bit later. I'm having a midlife crisis gene situation as well. Um, also, (laughs) 
my weird dreams we, we we will be including the weird dreams into it as well i had a unfortunate gym session the other day people would say that uh, all of my gym sessions are unfortunate i don't know if we're going to dip our toe back into uh, the pumpkin spice flavoring that uh, everybody seems to once september the first rolls around everybody wants everything to do with uh, with pumpkin spice yeah, not not for me. I, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I leave the cinnamony, nutmeggy, that sort of uh, flavour. I leave that for Christmas time. Thanks very much indeed. So, are there any great Australian uh, philosophers or PhDs out there? I, I, have you ever met an a uh, PhD Australian or a, a PhD an Australian with a PhD? And also an Australian who's potentially a philosopher. Now I haven't either. Well, the people in the newsroom at the, uh, I think they're at the other end of the scale. They'll probably be the on the shorter bus, let's put it. Uh, because this is an unfortunate situation that happened during the Queen's funeral. Uh, you've got a couple of Aussie uh, commentators that are describing who's arriving for the funeral. And uh, they, uh, yeah, this is this is what happened here. So here we go. Who's this? No, hard to identify. Maybe uh, minor royals, members of the. I can't identify them we at this point. We can't spot everyone, no. unfortunately. They look like they could well be local dignitaries. It's hard to see. We're looking at the backs of their heads most. But I think we are now getting to the pointy end, as they say. Of the was. I'm just told that was Liz Trust, the new Prime Minister, in the distance that we could see hopping Going out of that car. Well, thank you very much. Yes, a lesser-known royal to the pointy end. The person they couldn't identify was the new Prime Minister, Liz Truss. Very odd. Very, very odd. It's peculiar. Say cheese, this isn't just meat. You can grow in a lab. Squeezing udders could be on the way out. Well, let's hope not. It's more climate-friendly. Artificial dairy hits the shells. A taste of cheddar and gouda made by fermenting yeast has mixed results. If a cow wary from the milking machine could understand what's happening in the offices of Better Dairy in East London, it would surely utter a moo of relief. Just off Regent's Canal and Hackney Wick, on the graffiti-swarved edge of the Olympic Park, a team of scientists are trying to make cheese without squeezing a single udder. They're the only British contenders in a rapidly accelerating race to make a dairy products in lab conditions. In Berlin, a startup called Formo is trying to symphonize mozzarella. In America, you can already buy cow-free milk, yogurt and ice cream, all made by Perfect Day, a company based in Berkeley, California. The aim of these companies is not to make the products like dairy. They do not want to be bracketed with the Oatly, the oat milk producer of Violife, which makes coconut oil-based cheese substitute. Instead, they want to make products indistinguishable from it. Just as the meat industry may be transformed by the licensing of lab-grown sausages and steak, so too the dairy industry might be on the verge of upheaval. If so, it would be a boon in the fight against climate change. In 2015, the dairy industry produced more than 1,700 million tons of CO2. But I want my mature chatter, I tell you. Better Dairy, founded in 2019 by Jevin Nangariah and Christopher Reynolds, two alumni of the Imperial College London, Reynolds with a PhD in synthetic biology. Have you, have you met an Australian with a PhD yet? Please, please let me know if you find one. Better Dairy's first office was a shipping container in Shepherd's Bush, West London, but in January, boy by 22 million funding uh, that closed uh, last month, Better Dairy expanded its team from 9 to 25 and moved to a more spacious laboratory in Hackney Wick. It's there, Naraja said, the company makes the wandering ingredient of cheese, a protein called K2, 
casein, melt gooiness, stretch flavor profile. The majority of all of this comes just from casein. It's basically the thing that means plant-based cheese alternatives are not great and regular cheese is delicious. If the idea of making cheese in a lab sounds like magic, then the scientist's chief trick is conjuring up the casein. Having observed the genome of cows to see how they produce it, they genetically reprogram yeast microbes to do the same. If you think of microorganism kind of like a code, you can start snipping out the code and moving code and out, in and out. To simulate these reprogrammed microorganisms to produce casein, the scientists oxinate them and then feed them sugar, fermenting them just as they would fermenting crops to make beer. Then they harvest the casein from the sugary mix, this process of tweaking and simulating microbes to make particular molecules is known as precision fermentation. Raja has envisaged fermenting the same sugars and fats found in cow's milk to make the product molecularly identical to it. However, the team realized that instead of using lactose, the sugar in milk to which many people are intolerant, they could make their product accessible to a wider audience by using plant-based sugars. This, they claim, does not change the flavor or texture. It doesn't make any difference to the end product. What it means is we have lower the level of cholesterol, so the better behind the name better dairy is what we're doing. You can actually end up with a product that's better than dairy. That Nagaraja has the chance to taste the cheese. It becomes clear that the company has yet to live up to its name. He presents me four slices, two labeled cheddar, two gouda. Neither of the goudas taste of much. But then again, the little tastes are definitely cheesy, which can more be said to the plant substitutes that we've tried in the past. But it feels faintly miraculous. Nagaraja says that the lack of flavor is partly due to them only being matured for a month. The first cheddar is rubbery and again lacking in taste. At this point, I'm going to conclude that it will be a long time until better dairy is nearly as tasty as normal dairy. But then the second cheddar, with a texture between creaminess and crumbliness, and its salty, slightly sour flavor is far closer to the real thing than the first three. While it's not as tasty, even the cheapest cheddar you buy in a supermarket is a convincing prototype of something that could be. I don't think this is going to be replacing my wax-sealed mature cheddar on my smorgasbord or charcuterie board anytime soon. We like to take the uh, microscope. We like to take the vernier calipas. We like to take the magnifying glass to our dreams here and keep calm and cauliflower cheese. So my, uh, my darling had a dream about cats. I think people dream about cats all the time. Cats in dreams signify creativity, intuition, and a powerful nature. It also signifies bad luck, misfortune, cheating, and deceit, uh, either by others or by yourself. <laughs> well, that's quite a broad range there, isn't there? The interpretations of various cat dreams. This isn't like a thumbnail sketch, a snapshot. If you dream of kittens, innocent and childlike self, playful cat to save a life moments. A white cat, confusion and self-doubt. Wild cat, commitment, strength of mind and conviction. Cats attacking, fears and apprehensions, killing a cat, evil motives of others. Dead cat, overcome unresolved conflicts. Gray cat, calmness and serenity. Black cat, fears and insecurities. Cats are powerful symbols of creativity and intuition. This domestic animal defines your powerful and strong emotional nature. Sometimes cats and dreams can also signify bad luck, misfortune, cheating and deceit, either by others or 
by yourself. It's probably fairly easy to analyse a cat-like dream, but I had a weird dream. I was at a concert, children's concert, with my parents. Uh, and uh, my, uh, my girlfriend was back at my parents' house, who she hasn't even met yet. She was completely naked and um, was on the phone to me saying, what the hell are you doing? Then I awoke. Now, who knows what that means? So we talked on the podcast quite a while ago that uh, my dear papa was looking for the remnants, the artifacts, the ruins of an old mill. An old well at mill. The, from, it was in 1794. It was Windy Miller's Mill. Yes, Windy Miller. That was the gentleman's name. And um, it's not, not an unfortunate tale. He wasn't burnt in this tale or killed in this tale. But uh, the mill burnt down. So he's been looking for this mill and he's employed a couple of different, uh, a couple of different things here to try to find the lost mill of Windy Miller. So, first of all, he is trying RAF drones, or is it NASA drones, that could basically see behind the thickest of all curtains. So even if you know, if you're a curtain twitch or whatever, this this drone can see anything. So it can x-ray soil and can find possibly Windy Miller's lost mill. And also, he's employed some uh, truffle hounds from France. They have the best sniffers in the world. They're the most sensitive sniffers in the world. And uh, these, these hounds are going to try to find uh, this mill. So the remnants of the mill. And uh, maybe find Windy Miller. So, you know, as I said, they, they can sniff out truffles. They're better than pigs. Because pigs eat the truffles. Uh, but uh, the, these sniffers are the best, and they can maybe find the mill that was lost a couple of hundred years ago. Hello, Wendy. Are you busy? Plenty of corn to grind. Plenty of wind in your sails. Ah, oh, yes, they're going nicely, aren't they? There you go. On the back, still got the pin going across, uh, where it would have had, obviously, would have had two of them. That's the little silver cuff, cuff link. I think that's probably 1700s. I do. There is something like Charles I, but I don't think that is. I think that's uh, 1700s silver cuff link. I'll take that all day long. So, so what the truffle hounds. And the military-grade drone couldn't find some old metal bad metal detector found that beautiful. What we found today was a load of squid. What we found, boy, us medieval vegan. It's absolutely essential that everybody out there upgrades their phone to the new iPhone 14. Yeah, the reason being though, and it's very, very importantly, and it, maybe it's just me, allegedly, if you are sending text messages to the iPhone 14, to another iPhone 14, you get the blue delivered message. Any older version, it goes green. 
Uh, if you want your messages sky blue, then you need the iPhone 14. It's not easy being green though. You don't want to be toad-like. You don't want the frog-like green. It's not easy being green. Maryland Police Station pot parties give officers a stoner's point of view. The first time Deanna Schultz was invited to smoke cannabis at a Maryland uh, police station, she was nervous. Officers at Montgomery County Police Station Department were holding a small pot party. Well, it's not the sort of bring your own pot. We're not talking pot noodles. We're not talking pot luck. You're not uh, doing a pot creation. But in the tent they had erected at the back of the headquarters, let's hope they erected the tent before they started smoking the pot, were drinks, crisps, and pizza. Lots of nibbles, lots of munchies there. They could not supply the cannabis, which remains prohibited under federal law, so they had to bring, it had to be bring your own event. Bring your own event. Instead of bring your own bottle, bring your own bong. But volunteers were told they would be reimbursed for their edibles, joints, blunts, hollowed out cannabis-filled cigars. Maryland had uh, allowed the medical use of marijuana since 2014, and in November, voters will decide whether to make the recreational use of the drug legal as well. The Montgomery Police Department, which holds a thin blue line in six districts north of Washington, D.C., was concerned about more cannabis users on the roads, but needed to train its personnel on how to identify somebody who was unfit to drive. So it invited members of the public to get high in front of its police officers and then they'll be asked to perform a series of sobriety tests. The cool thing is they pick you up. So at least they had a designated driver who wasn't high in pot. They have a squad car come to your house, wonder if the lights are on. Afterwards, they drive you home. Still, she found it hard to relax the first time she lit up a joint in front of a group of police officers. I've been smoking since uh, before it was medically legal, she said. I've always had this fear of the cops. Officer Jamie Derbyshire, who runs the department, calls the Greenland program, said the police had discovered it at their first event, and it might be better they were not in uniform. A young volunteer went into complete shock at the sight of the ranks of blue uniforms and badges and told the Wall Street Journal, which reported on the events. She was in tears within seconds and went and locked herself in the bathroom stall. It took a few minutes to get her out. I wonder if she had the munchies delivered to the store. Schultz remembered feeling nervous about having half a dozen men, and in her case no women, staring at her intently and asking, How do you feel now? What's going on in your mind? But, uh, but after a while she began seeing it from their perspective. They were just people. It also appeared to her that they were completely clueless about cannabis. They had staged the event inside a tent and the doors were closed. It's going to make her paranoid, for God's sake. She felt obliged to warn them that the smokers would affect them too. It's a big learning thing for them. She was also surprised that the officers in their 40s had never tried the drug. They were like, not one time. I guess I drink a lot and I drink like a fish. One officer in her view was definitely curious. She suggested that inside a computer um, driving simulator, the police should test the cannabis users on go-karts. That's what they do with alcohol, she said. They said, do you want to come again and do the go-karting track? I thought, you want me to smoke cannabis and drive go-karts? Yeah, I'll come. I'm looking forward to it. So I was at the gym the other day, and uh, part of the sort of midlife crisis, well, the midlife crisis isn't the fact that I'm going to the gym, but I was on the elliptical for my 30 or 40 minutes, and towards the end, I had a sudden, like, real urge to pee real urge so finished up my workout sweating like a pig shirt soaked and then uh, went in to the uh, little boys room and uh, you know plopped myself at the urinal shorts on um, the old uh, zipper down and uh, started doing my business now I, I have the problem of 
the middle-aged man, the middle-aged crisis, I haven't got a very powerful flow anymore. I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know how one could increase the flow. Cafeta maybe, who knows? Anyway, um, I was in another world, exhausted from working out, and then I realized I had serious drippage. Well, it wasn't a drip, it wasn't even a flood, it was a tsunami all over my shorts. And I thought, well, I don't want to walk past anybody because it looks like I've wet myself, and I have wet myself. So I went into the, uh, went into the cubicle and started, like, mopping, mopping off, using the old toilet paper, kitchen roll, mopping, mopping everything down, trying to dry everything off. And I thought, well, maybe I could take my shorts off and then dry them under the hand dryer. Well, I didn't do that. But as I was just about to uh, flush the, uh, the paper that I used to mop everything up down the toilet, I noticed that somebody had been in there before me and, uh, and, and, and done a severe blockage situation going on. And then the water started overflowing from the toilet onto the floor. So not only was I had soaking wet shorts, I had a situation where uh, a blockage had caused an absolute flooding situation. And I needed to make a quick charge exit because, uh, you know, everything was going to float out. The floaters were going to float out. And, uh, yeah, you don't want to be near that, uh, that type of sewage, do you? I had to make a very, very quick and indeed sharp exit because not only did I have soaking wet shorts, that was very embarrassing, but uh, <laughs> somebody blocked the toilet and I was about to encounter a log flume. So this was going through my mind as I made a very, very swift uh, exit. It was a me me I mean, I mean, luckily I didn't have my glasses on either, so I couldn't see anybody looking at me, uh, you know, <laughs> look at me thinking, well, that guy's got soaking wet shorts on. Oh, wait, why? I opened the door. No, no, no. And I did get back without catching anybody's eye. An executive at a leading vegan food company is said to have bitten another driver on the nose in a road rage accident. Uh, Doug Ramsey, the chief operations officer of Beyond Meat, has been charged with third-degree battery making a terror threat outside an American football game in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Ramsey, 53, is said to have attacked another driver who tried to inch in front of him in a queue for the car park on Saturday, hitting his wheel, according to the police report. It states that the officers responded to the disturbance to find two males with bloody faces. Ramsey allegedly left, left his vehicle and punch, <laughs> punched through the back windscreen of another car. The executive is said to have pulled the driver in close and started punching the body and biting the flesh on the tip of the man's nose. Uh, it's completely allegedly that the uh, nose was actually grown in a lab and was called a Beyond Nose. And Willy Waving contests don't get much bigger than this. Roberto Escafil Cabrera claims his appendage is 18.9 inches long, reckons he's the proud owner of the world's biggest wanger. Uh, but Jonah Falcon, his chief rival in the Battle of the Bulge, has cast doubts on the validity of Roberto's assertion, said he's the man with the biggest gold member um, only one of them can, is telling the truth though and even with a closer examination of the key evidence it's hard to say which pair possesses 
the longest ding-dong. It all started back in 2015 when Roberto made the bold claim that his old chap measured 18.9 inches, about the third as tall as the actor Danny DeVito. He's even being registered as disabled because of it. Because when it comes to legs, two's company, three's a crowd, the tripod. Sleep-deprived Brits who struggle to nod off into slumber will be given the chance to count sheep for real. In a unique overnight experience from a Sussex field, a flock of the fluffy farm animals will graze around the glass dome on a hillside which contains a luxurious double bed for two guests surrounded by lush countryside views. Let's hope it'll be smell resistant as well. And with each animal sporting a different number etched onto its wall, guests will be invited to count the number of sheep before gently drifting off into a blissful slumber beneath the stars. And after tucking into dinner and settling in for the night, guests will wake up to a guided yoga session before enjoying a breakfast hamper full of locally sourced food. Let's hope it's not... Let's not hope it's not gyros or lamb sausage. Sleep tech company Emma Sheep which is creating the Sleep Sleep Sanctuary experience, have launched a contest offering two people the chance to try it out when it opens in 2024. The dome was created after a poll of 2,000 adults have 44% has struggled to get to sleep this year. Dr. Jenish Schmaltzy, that's a good name for somebody who's a, a CEO of a sleep council, isn't it? At Emma Sleep says the power of a good night's sleep can't be underestimated and it's clear the nation needs it more now than ever. Counting sheep is more than a wild wives table. It's tried and tested visualization technique that Brits are relying on to send them to sleep. They're also longing for a serene and peaceful environment to drift off in when they're struggling to relax, which is incredibly important for sleep quality. The study also found 23% claim their quality of sleep is now worse than ever before, with 1 in 10 even admitting they can't remember the last time they slept well. The study carried out via one poll also revealed factors which believe boost the chances of sleeping well. Theresa Schnorbach. <laughs> now that's a great name, isn't it? Theresa Schnorbach, sleep scientist. Now, she's got her own PR team. She doesn't need a PR team with the name Teresa Schnorbach. Uh, she's a sleep scientist, Emma. When practiced regularly, these kinds of exercises have been proven to lower the heart rate, encouraging slower breathing and activating the parasympathetic nervous systems. Imagin imaginative distraction is also an effective cognitive strategy to help sleep while you imagine a pleasant, relaxing image much detail as possible like counting fluffy sheep as they jump over the fence but if the fluffy sheep's bleating would that have the adverse effect which soup is the perfect recipe for your zodiac sign you should not feel bound by these recommendations but there's a whole universe of soup options beyond this discussion point and it's your job to explore the entire thing so let's look at the soups which best fit your horoscope sign. Aquarius. If you can dream it, you can make it. What Aquarians would down to whip up a pot of Jamaican oxtail stew? Pisces. Creativity is at your core, and the green goddess soup is imaginative enough to keep any water sign satisfied. Aries. You're not interested in anything mainstream. You need soup with a little splash. Try the gazpacho with burrata. Taurus, never afraid of a challenge? 
you're ready to roll up your sleeves and go for the French onion soup bombs. Gemini, like the twins, a little bit spicy, a little bit sweet. Sinigang soup is perfect for both of your personalities. Cancer, if you're looking for a recipe that's you're in for the long haul, the baked feta soup won't let you down. Leo, who's afraid of a little heat? Not you, the scotch bonnet chicken soup has all you can handle and more. Virgo, you're probably whipping up something for a friend in need. They love the homemade shiju ramen soup. Libra, you need a soup that makes everybody in the house happy. The broccoli cheddar soup is a total crowd pleaser. Scorpio, let's tap into all the resourcefulness. Thai coconut chicken soup uses everything you probably already have in the house. Sagittarius, your bowl runoff over with its generosity. Make this pasta al fagioli. The whole neighborhood will come by. And Capricorn, forever disciplined and logical, you'll vibe with this classic matzo ball soup as only an earth sign can. And a Britter's claimed he has found the perfect hellhole in his quest to find the world's worst public toilet. Graham Askey has spent $150,000 and travelled 75,000 miles to 100 countries in his efforts to track down the most disgusting loos on the planet. The travel writer and blogger known as his friends of the King of Porcelain now believes he's found the worst offender in the ramshackle tent with walls that double as loo roll in Tajikistan. Uh, he says that the five-foot bog in nor- northern Tajikistan is so bad that desperate enough to use it must stoop over uh, sun-dried poo. But by far the most repellent thing of all, as he said, is the fabric walls that are used as shard toilet paper. He says that some wall section have been torn off and discarded on the cubicle floor. Getting to the uh, toilet is no walk in the park either, with visitors facing a danger of disturbing deadly snakes and fearless rats that have all made their home in nearby rocks. According to Ashley, the toilet in the Anai region of Tajikistan, on the western edge of the uh, Pamirs, is not far from the Afghanistan border, so it's vile that the locals refuse to use it unless they're absolutely desperate. Askey, a self-confessed squatter spotter, Uh, visited hundreds of public toilets in six of the world's seven continents before crowning the Tajikistan outlet the worst of them all. He's encountered 36 of the crappiest crappers uh, encountered in his book Toilets of the Wild Frontier, which hits the shelves this week. Other public loos that made his crap list include a sink in Bangladesh, a bath containing uh, litres of numbered ones and twos in China, with a plug left in. A hut on the 10-foot high stilts in Indonesia also made the list thanks to its death-defying walkway, as did a wooden chair with a built-in toilet seat in uh, Benin. Perched prominently upon a raised platform in the middle of the village is said to be, by ASCII, the least privacy-conscious laboratory he's ever encountered. The retired builder developed his peculiar fascination for public lavatories and in particular pool construction on his first overseas trip to Morocco. Pictures he had taken clocked at thousands of views inside other places blog, which he penned the fictitious Toilet and Urinal Restoration and Design Society, Turds. His uh, unique posts about far-flung parts of the world have become so popular he decided to collate the top 36 into book form. And they may add the... uh the toilets at the, at the gym here with the whole urinal situation and then the uh, log flume as part of his he's gonna have to make it 37 now i think very british problems official what would be a very british name for the next bond film never say anything again view to a phil grass raker the fly who bugged me
No Time to Diet. And here's a particularly Scottish one from a Scottish Bond film title. Y'all had your tea? James Bond and the Gilded Teapot. James Bond and the Upset Brolly. James Bond and the Q Jumper. James Bond Leaves on the Line. Blackpool Royale starring James Bond and the Seagull. James Bond in Banger Galore. The spy who announces his name everywhere he goes, even though he's a spy and should remain undercover. It's been beautiful having you here for the podcast today. Just a little bit of scheduling information for the uh, next week or so of the podcast. There's only going to be one edition of the podcast uh, this uh, coming weekend. Chappie is moving to a new Chappie Towers. And uh, then after that, we'll be back to our two editions uh, the following week. So next weekend, there's going to be one edition of the podcast, if I can squeeze it in, which which I'm definitely going to. I need to... Need, uh, need a little bit of relaxation between uh, scraping um, mouse carcasses off the boxes and uh, and then hurting my lower back again. So that hopefully there will be uh, another edition of the podcast, just one next week. So if you like the show, like and subscribe where you can. You can listen on Apple Music. You can listen on Spotify as an audio version. You can listen on High Heart Radio, Pandora, Audible. You can listen on Google Podcasts. You can listen on Amazon Podcasts basically anywhere so if you're ever in Tajikistan and you're in that uh, one of the worst loos in the world and you're scraping off some of the uh, toilet paper that's stuck to the side of the walls as you scrape it off as it peels off you can actually hear keep calm cauliflower cheese emanating from all of that uh, soiled all of that papier-mâché toilet roll that's stuck to the wall there if you like music though there's a Butler and Poe musical edition Spotify and you can listen to some Barry Manilow, Copacabana. You can also have some Matthew Wilder, some Suede. You can have some Mock Turtles. You can have some Ben Folds. You can have a little bit of uh, Def Leppard as well thrown into there. And Mariah Carey. But coming up next, we have a poem. It's season of mists and mellow fruitfulness. Close bosom friend of the maturing sun, conspiring with him. And how to load and bless with the fruit of the vines that round the thatches run. To bend with apples the mosses, cottage trees, and to fill all fruit with ripeness to the core. To swell the ground and plump the hazel shells with sweet kernel. To yet budding more and still more, later flowers for the bees until they think warm days will never cease. For summer has herbrimmed their clammy sails. Those songs of spring, ay, where are they? Think not of them, thou hast thy music too, while barred clouds bloom the soft dying day, and touch the stubble plains with rosy hue. Then in a wallerful choir, these small gnats mourn among the river's shallows borne aloft. Oh, the sinking of the light, wind leaves or dies, and full-grown lambs loud bleat from hilly born. Hedge crickets sing, and now with treble soft, the red breast whistles from the garden croft and gathering swallows twitter in the skies. As I retreat for an elongated game of jumper, jumper Jenga over the next week or so, I will return next weekend. But until next time, have a smashing week. Cheerio. Oh, come on. <laughs> very odd. Very, very odd. Come on board, all of you. You're just in time for breakfast. It's sausages today. Eat the hula.